I wonder uh, how many uh, of us this morning have been slapped hard in the cheek or how many times you've had your coat taken from you or has anybody ever been robbed and called the police to let them know um, that you've been robbed but asked them not to look for the robber? When I used to play football, I can assure you that at no time when somebody belted me did I ask them to do it again. In fact, in fact, I may have given just as much as I copped in those days. Um, it is no wonder that many people look at these teachings of Jesus and often use them to pass judgment on Christians. They love to say, they just love it to say to us, Aren't you meant to turn the other cheek when something happens? How many times have you heard that? I'd I'd, I'd love a dollar for every time I've heard that. Well, I really want to address this issue up front. Being Christian does not mean being a doormat for abuse. As I see it, Jesus' teaching in this passage has quite a narrow application It is mainly concerned with the issues of personal revenge and retaliation and has nothing to do with self-defence. Jesus is telling his followers that they need to let go of the desire to get back at others who have wronged them in some way. Augustine, Martin Luther and John Calvin and other great thinkers, so I think this isn't isn't my thoughts then, obviously, So it's other great thinkers in the history of church theology have explained these verses as follows. Disciples of Jesus should be willing willing to suffer personal injustice, but they should also realise that loving their neighbours sometimes implies a willingness to use force. In other words, we should always be prepared to defend others who are being abused or mistreated or are vulnerable in some way. It is this misunderstanding of the passages like this one that have aided the church to mishandle cases of abuse and neglect. Unfortunately, the notion of turn the other cheek message has been turned into turn a blind eye. The other passage, I think, that is often misunderstood is the one about passing judgment. I know plenty of Christians and quite a few clergy who are pretty quick to refer to passages of rebuking people but are slow on the don't judge ones like we have before us this morning. But Jesus wasn't telling us that we ought to be gullible or naive about others or that we should overlook the reality of human failure and sin. Jesus wasn't naive about those who claimed to follow him, but in reality couldn't be trusted. John 2, 24 to 25, Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew what was in a man. Look carefully at Jesus' actual words. Do not judge, or you will be judged. Jesus here is reminding us that God alone is the eternal judge and we must think and, and sorry and we must never think that we can take his place. 
someday we will all stand before him and he alone has the power to condemn and save us. He alone also is able to see your hearts, to see our hearts. And he alone knows whether or not we have faith in Christ. Jesus' words are also a warning against pride, against thinking we are better or more righteous than others. In God's eyes, we are all guilty and we have all sinned against him and turned our backs on his will for our lives. This is why we need Christ. For by his death on the cross, he took upon himself the judgment we deserve. Well, that's the, most, that's the more difficult stuff in our, pas- in our reading this morning. Well, for some anyway. But Jesus' point in this passage is not providing a new book of rules that followers can sit back and tick off and all would think it'll be okay. The point was to instill and illustrate an attitude of heart, a lightness of spirit in the face of all that the world can throw at you. And at the centre of, of, of it is the things that motivate us and gives colour to our lives. The notion of repenting and turning back to God is that we will try and become a little more like God. And that is what Jesus is trying to instill in these followers. You will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. God is generous to all people. He provides good things to all to enjoy. He is astonishingly merciful. We know this. Just examine your own heart. And yet, you still experience God's grace and love. How can we, his children, be any less? This is a radical, different God. If we, if, we ever, if we ever lived in a society that was able to get anywhere near what Jesus is saying, there wouldn't be any violence. There wouldn't be any revenge. There wouldn't be any division. Things like poverty, property and possessions would not be at all important. This sort of living would be exuberant, would be exuberantly generous. It would be a place where we would experience the extravagant love of the Father. It is, it is that life that Jesus understood. Jesus was speaking about what he knew and what he did. Just look at what happened to those around him. When we when our reading last week in Luke 6.19, power went out from him and everyone was healed. Now that's exuberant love, exuberant generosity. It is also letting those there at the time and us down through history know that our God is different to those pagans worshipped. Unfortunately, the church down through history has not been very good at delivering this message. I was reflecting on my youth 
of listening to a sermon from a guy who was referred to as one of the great preachers and evangelists of my time. The only problem was that he preaching, his preaching went on for well over an hour. That's not going to happen this morning. And most of it was telling me just how bad and sinful I was and how undeserving I was. And then, and only then in the last minute, he'd say, but God loves you, so come to him. Well, I felt so unloved. There was no way I could go to this God. It was only when I heard the message of Jesus dying for me that I was, because of despite all I am, he loves me. I was able then to go to God. Preachers and teachers of the gospel have focused just how sinful we are and bad we are and how undeserving we are for too long. This is not really the God of the Bible. You see, the God of the Bible is the prodigal father who hitches up his robes and comes running to meet us. He's a shepherd who goes off looking for just one of us who is lost. He's the God that died for us. Died for us whilst we were sinners. Hear what I'm saying. God doesn't want your perfection. He loves you. He relishes in you just the way you are right now. I want you to take a moment and think about that. Let that sink deep into your thinking. Let it seep deep into your soul. God doesn't want your perfection. He loves you. He relishes in you just the way you are right now. Yes, he wants us to change, but that's not the deal. As Paul says in Romans 5, 8, God, but God proves his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He cannot love you any more than he does right now. Jesus knew this love. He knew how to live this lavish, totally radical life of love that he was teaching to his disciples. When the time came and Jesus was struck on the cheek and he had his coat and shirt ripped off, he went on loving and forgiving those that were inflicting that upon him. Jesus didn't just show love for his followers, but for those who were persecuting him. Luke 19, 41, Jesus wept over Jerusalem, over their rejection of him and what the future had in store for them. There are two practical and astonished things, astonishing things about these instructions Jesus gave to his followers. Firstly, their simplicity. They are obvious, clear, direct and memorable. We all know those verses we heard this morning. The turn the other cheek verse, the do not judge verse. We know them, we hear them. Secondly, the amazing thing is their scarcity. I wonder how many, of, how many people you know who really live like this? How many communities do you know where these guidelines are the rules of life? God invites us to be creative in our loving and blessing. 
The invitation is not an example of being used and abused by people. Instead, it is an example of responding in such a way that a person, by our actions, causes them to think about what he or she has said and done in their lives. Even Jesus dying on the cross, even the crucifixion, Jesus evoked a response from a Roman centurion that praised God. We should be praying that we live lives that respond to those around us in a way that challenges their lives, their thoughts of who God is and how much God loves them. Amen.